welcome back everyone. Uh, we've got another uh, episode of Natural Bodybuilding Worldwide. Uh, we're, we're really excited about uh, our guest today. Uh, we've got with us uh, John Harris, who um, really, really needs no introduction, but um, for, for those of you who are maybe sort of newer to the sport, um, John is a WNBF pro. Um, he gained his pro card uh, after he took the um, 2003 BNBF um, British overall title. He went on in his very, uh, you know, his very first uh, Worlds to take second in the lightweight class um, at the WNBF Worlds. Uh, came back in 2004 and took another second place title um, at the WNBF Worlds in the lightweight class. Uh, following a year off in 2005, John came back um, to take not only his class in the middleweights in 2005, uh, but also that um, that uh, illustrious uh, overall WNBF world title, um, and then rounded off things with with another uh, second place um, uh, class class um, finish in 2007. Um, so, uh, obviously, John's got a lot of history in the sport. Um, from, from my perspective, uh, it's, I'm, I'm really excited about this because John is uh, sort of one of the people who, I guess, introduced me to the, the, the sort of fact that there was a, such a thing as natural bodybuilding. Um, it was sort of yourself, um, Vicky McCann and Rob Hope that I first sort of came across. And it was, I think it was in a, actually in a Maxi Muscle uh, catalogue that I saw your um, your picture and your name uh, and that that sort of introduced me to the forum um, the John Harris forum which I'm sure we'll we'll talk a little bit about later um, but obviously uh, you know we're we're really happy to have John on with us uh, we know that uh, you may have seen that that John's done a, a recent podcast with with AJ and Lee Camp uh, which is a you know, a very comprehensive chat. Um, so, so what we what what we want to do is is make this a bit of a uh, you know a follow on and, and and talk about other topics and maybe delve into certain topics in a bit more detail uh, to sort of complement each other. So, I, I'd I'd recommend you know if you haven't already uh, to to have a listen to that podcast but, but before this one maybe. Um, so, so without further ado, uh, welcome John. Uh, how how are you today? Hello guys, I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm all ready for a nice session here. As I say, the last show was, was a bit of a monster. We did over three hours, so we'll see where this one goes today. But hopefully there's, there's lots of extra nuggets we can dig out um, from our bodybuilding past to share with everybody. So really excited, really looking forward to it. Thanks ever so much for the, for the opportunity and hello to everyone online watching. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for being on, mate. <clears throat> Yeah, so uh, obviously we've had, we we had a bit of a brief briefing, John, and, and discussed what we what we might talk about. And I suppose you covered in in, in quite a bit of detail your, your sort of early days in the sport and and getting into training on on AJ's podcast. Um, but we just wanted to ask a little bit further about um, you know when, when you, in those early days was there anyone in particular who sort of influenced you and who you looked up to as as sort of a role model in the sport and, and maybe you know even within your gym someone who guided you and and and, and taught you uh, you know the principles of training and, and when you were you were thinking about competing yeah well this goes back 
a long time. Um, I actually started training when I was about 12, 13 years old. Um, I had a, a home gym and my brothers trained it. I've got three older brothers and uh, an older sister as well, but my older brothers had a home gym. So that's where I started working out. So at that point, I didn't really have too many people around me other than my brothers to look up to. But I do remember seeing a picture of Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think this was something like the 1980 Guinness Book of World Records and seeing his image in there as Mr. Olympia. I think he was like six times Mr. Olympia or something at that point. But he was described as the most perfectly developed man in history. And, and, and it was an, an amazing image. And you can still find this black and white online today. And um, that definitely struck a chord. So that was probably the first image I ever saw, which, which resonated with me as a young man um, in my early teen years. Um, but I didn't really um, start latching on to the competitive bodybuilding scene until I joined my first commercial gym, which was, I think, about the age of 16. And then I started watching some of the um, early Olympia videos well, I'll say early, they weren't particularly early at the time. This was back in the 90s. So I started following, you know, some of the classic physiques of that time. So we're talking about Leela Brada, <coughs> Sean Ray, um, guys like that who had a like, really sort of classic aesthetic physique. So those were the, the sorts of physiques I was looking up to. Obviously, all the physiques back in those days were more streamlined, more aesthetic. Uh, Barry Dumay, that was another one. Bob Paris, so I mean, you guys would no doubt remember these classic physiques from yesteryear. So this this was what I was absorbed in when I was first training in my proper commercial gym. And of course, this was back in my junior days. So I was competing at the age of seventeen. Back in my my first contest was nineteen ninety two. So yeah, I was a, those were the kind of physiques that were my guiding light. But in terms of people who helped me. Uh, with my contest prep i just read flex articles really muscle and fitness because we had the magazines back then we had a big choice of mags and i always used to remember saving up my my pocket money and and buying these these magazines off the shelf and just absolutely devouring them because that was our only source of information back then um we didn't have the internet it didn't exist social media didn't exist so all our information came from the magazines or through the conversations we had in the gym with our mates and that's how knowledge was shared um i did pick up some pointers from the lads in the gym i was very fortunate to train in a commercial gym at 16 where there were other competitive bodybuilders around so i was able to sort of compare notes pick up some tips on diet on training and and and, and sort of sketch a plan together but right from the outset i wouldn't say i ever had a coach it, it was more of a case of just pulling in my well, coaches didn't really exist back then but it was more of a case of just talking to other people uh, reading the magazines and just building my own plan and and that's kind of how it how it started out in, in the early days as a junior yeah awesome and and um one thing in particular which uh, which has always sort of stood out uh for, for me with yourself john is um you're always quite well known for your, your posing your sort of classical posing and 
Uh, I, I remember actually um, the first ever show I went to was the NPA British Finals in 2006, which was where you did a guest guest spot, if you remember. Yeah. Um, but I was just when you were first sort of getting into bodybuilding in those early days when you competed as a junior, did you have anyone to sort of teach you how to pose or was it just a case of watching the likes of you know, Labrada, Sean Ray, these people, and just sort of picking up and sort of trial and error sort of thing? It was. It was trial and error. I, I didn't have a coach. I did watch all the Olympia videos. We had a big selection of these videos at the gym. Um, the guy was who ran it was very into bodybuilding, so I was able to borrow the videos, take them home, watch them, rewind the video, watch the video again. So I did a little an awful lot of stopping, pausing, rewinding and, and emulating some of the poses of the greats and, and, you know, stealing little bits here and there where I could. I never had a, a choreographer, um, anyone who really went through my routine and designed uh, or choreographed a routine for me. But once again, I could take my routine into the gym, show the guys there. They would uh, clear a little space in the mirror for me. Uh, they'd put my music on. I'd do my posing routine and they'd critique it. So even at that early point, I had people looking over my shoulder, telling me what worked and what didn't work. So I wasn't completely on my own, but I didn't really have anyone designing my own routines. That was very much my own creation. I, I picked my own music and, and, and just went with it. But even back then, I was very conscientious of what music I wanted to pose to, how I was going to put my structure, my routines. And I, uh, learned very early on about piecing together transitions and timing and and all that stuff which comes together to, to make a, a nice posing routine and, and ever since those early days I've always put an awful lot of effort into the posing routines because <clears throat> I just think like bodybuilding is is a sport but also it's sort of a bit of a performance art as well you know, I look at it from that angle too, not just not just the sport. And I've always seen it like that. Um, I treat the body as a, a sculpture and I think I'm sculpting a model when I'm in the gym. And, and that's my relationship to the sport, if you will. So putting together an artistic, creative routine was just a natural extension of that, really. Um, when you, you talk about you putting your posing routines together and, and, and choosing your music, what helped? What, um, what do you, how, how do you choose your music and what kind of music you, you, you prefer? What's your favorite? What do you favor? Well, I prefer the, the, the you know, slight, well, I've, I've used a mixed bag actually um, over the years. I, I've not just stuck to, to one style. I've posted rock music, I've posted power ballads as well. Um, big pieces um, with, with, a, with a, a set rhythm and tempo with highs and lows. So you can choreograph key poses to key moments in the music. That's really what I was looking at or, or listening to rather when I was trying to select a piece of music that I composed to. It's very hard for me to say exactly what the formula is for picking a piece of posing music other than, and you guys can probably relate to this, you know it when you hear it. Yeah. Um, you think, oh, hang on, that's a song on the radio. I could pose to this. And, and, and a bell goes off in your head. And you're looking for a piece of paper so you can write it down and make a note. So the next time you're, on, you know, you're in your, the throes of the contest prep, you've got a little short list. And, and I did this. I'm sure everyone does the same. But you have a little list of, of, of tracks 
and you go through them you might be hit a few poses to the to the tunes and then you squash the the tune down as well to sort of 60 seconds or 90 seconds or however long you've got to pose by the federation then you see where you can create a nice routine in yeah. that it, it's it's a little bit of trial and error it, i wouldn't say there's an, an exact formula to it but um yeah i, I certainly um i avoided the certain kinds of music i wasn't really into sort of heavy metal for example it just didn't suit my classical lines didn't yeah. suit my physique so i was guided by pieces of music that that suited my physique and suited the way i like to present my physique really yeah and can yeah. you can you remember the uh favorite your favorite track and your your favorite routine at all Oh, there's a few. Uh, I, like, I did like to post to uh, YouTube. Um, I remember my debut BMBF show. I posted to Beautiful Day by YouTube, which was a really nice track. Um, yeah. And then with some nice highs and lows. That, that was a fun memory. Um, going into the world, I posted to um, some big tracks by you know, Kelly Clarkson. Here's another thing as well. I'll say this early on. When I was competing out in the States, I was always mindful of the music they liked out there as well. So um, I always thought if I posted something obscure and British in American, that no one would even know what track it is. So I always thought, well, what, what might be at least a known piece of music stateside? And I'm, I'm not sure if that made any difference. It probably didn't. It was just my way of, of trying to analyse things and, 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 and trying to put together... Um, a routine to a piece of music that might sort of get the crowd clapping <laughs> yeah I was going to say I was going to I was just going to say there I think when you um when you pose I mean I, I do especially I like to try and pick a song that not only do I like and compose to but one that can um sort of that the audience can immediately uh, get on board with and, and get behind you with um and enjoy it because I think sometimes there's nothing more loud than the, the silence of a crowd in a body. Sorry, <laughs> if they don't know the song or if it's just too much. So I, I get where you're coming from with that completely, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you, you touched on something there, John, when you were talking about posing in the gym with all, you know, all, all the lads sort of giving you feedback and things and that idea of the, the camaraderie uh, in bodybuilding. And there's been obviously quite a big shift these days with the emergence of, you know, online, co you know, there's a, a lot more sort of prep coaches, um, whereas maybe 10 years ago, it was much more a case of you did your own thing, but you got sort of feedback and advice from, from mates, essentially. Um, what are your thoughts on that, the way, the way things contrast? Because I, I know, I, I mean, it's by no means a bad thing that we've got access now to, to much more coaches, but, but do you feel in a way that, that, that there's a bit of a loss of that camaraderie amongst sort of fellow competitors? I agree, Tom. I think there's something lost in translation here um, over the years, and I've certainly noticed it. There was no coaches available when I was competing certainly back in the 90s um it's something that i think's probably come in broadly speaking maybe in the last sort of 10 years or so and when i was competing in my early 
days i'd always talk to is as you mentioned uh friends trusted friends in the sport who trained you'd compare notes you'd use your friends as a sounding board i used to do this thing where um i'd have my, my friends come and, and and take a look so you do you'd be six weeks out from the contest no one's seen you perhaps uh, but you want someone to check over your condition so you'd either go to the gym or someone will come to your house and then you'd be down to your boxer shorts and then, you know, they'd take a look at your condition and they'd say, oh, yeah, you you, you know, you, you need to lose a little bit more fat or you, you're ahead of schedule or you're behind of schedule. But it was all very informal. But now, obviously, the coaches come on board and take care of all of this. And what, what tends to happen, what I've noticed that the difference is um, in perhaps the way that... Um, this all played out um, through the bodybuilding forum, Natural Muscle, which I ran, because back in the early days, a lot of information was shared pre-contest prep on the forums, which was which actually was was fuel to for the threads, you know, because we'd have these great, interesting debates about contest prep and what people were doing and what people weren't doing. But then, as the proliferation of coaches came on board. I sensed a degree of, of people withdrawing from the forums and then taking everything privately offline with their coaches. So, so the, in, in a sense, then the knowledge got drawn out of the, the pool, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a shame. But having said that, you know, the, you can't deny, well, it's certainly my experience. I'm seeing it, people coming in much better condition in recent years on stage so I think that's probably a result of people working with good coaches who are getting them ready for contests where perhaps if they hadn't got a coach they'd miss time their peak and they'd turn up on stage out of shape so I think there's a role there for coaches but this is a subject that can go on and on and on. We can we could really get into the weeds with this because there's there's all sorts of pros and cons for and against coaches. And you know this is based on the assumption that that all coaches work to a, to a solid plan and deliver the results. And, and we don't live in an ideal world. And there are all manner of coaches out there. So um, it, it's it's a it's a little bit of, of a complicated area. Yeah, and I, I suppose just one thought I had is one. I think there is still that sort of camaraderie and community feel within some aspects of the sport. So, for example, I was just thinking there's you know the BMBF and I think the UKDFBA put on these clubs as well where people come together and 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 obviously get feedback from from experienced pros, uh, but also a way of sort of connecting with with each other um so i suppose you know there is some element of it still in the sport but i, I suppose uh as you say there's there's a big part of things which has become a bit more private and and it's just sort of a one-to-one -one coach and client uh setup isn't it um but m moving on a little bit you you you're talking about you know we were just touching on the forum there and I, I, I remember uh going on the forum and seeing uh you know some of these trips where you know the likes of yourself 
Vicky McCann, Rob Hope, Nigel Davis, Cheryl Myers, uh, you know, all these people who were sort of like pioneers of the sport uh, in this country, um, you know, going over to the States and sort of flying the flag for the UK. Um, and, and that was very much a, a, a team, you know, a team atmosphere, it seemed. Um, is there any sort of particular aspects or, or sort of fondest memories that you have from any of those trips? I think the first trip out will always be the most memorable because I'd never been out to New York before. So that first trip for me in 2003 when I won the pro card was my first time in a, on a transatlantic flight to New York. So there, there was so much to take in. It was all completely new. And uh, it was a great team spirit, absolutely. We were, I remember wearing my team tracksuit. We all had our you know, red, white and blue team tracksuits to wear and then just arriving at the venue for the athletes meeting and um, just being there with everybody in this absolutely enormous athletes meeting where we probably had, well, it was so big. I think the, the meeting was split over two meetings, an amateur meeting and a pro meeting. So we, we, we couldn't literally get all the WNBF and INBF athletes into one space um, for that. So that was chopped up. But then at the meeting, there was just like all these little groups of coloured tracksuits from all the different countries. Mm. You know, you, England, um, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, uh, obviously all, all in Team GB. But then aside of that, you've got the American team, you've got the Canadian team, Italian, Swiss, China. I could go on and on and on. But it was just a sense, a feeling of being on a world stage competing in a, in a, in a big world championships, but being part of something very British. It's a very difficult thing to explain, but a, a great sense of national pride to be there and, and extremely humbling to, to, you know, to, to, to be able to compete against some absolute legends in the sport who, who I looked up to. I mean, I mentioned earlier on about looking up to some of the guys in the 90s, you know, from, from the Olympias, because that's all I had access to back in then, pre-internet. But coming into um, the WNBF, I had a few years of, of, of looking up to the athletes there as I worked my way up through the amateur ranks, looking up to guys like Nigel Davis, you know, in the British team. And then the Americans, I think Dave Goodin was a guy who I had tremendous admiration for um, and what he'd achieved because he was like a, a, a two-time world champion. Um, you know, Nigel had come one up twice. So when I got out there as a pro, um, I, I felt a little bit overwhelmed by it initially, I must admit, um, and whether I was actually ready for all that. And, and, and certainly my expectations at that first show were relatively low I just wanted to sort of crack top eight so it was um it was great how it turned out but yeah just just to sort of like um just just touch again on the team spirit thing it, it was lovely and lots of small moments throughout the trip and, and through all the trips that are made out there um we um we did a lot of sightseeing after the show as well so there was trips away from the venue you know we went out for lovely meals with the team and got to reminisce on all the, the events that happened the stories over the last few days 
when the, when the show was running. And another memorable moment for me was the photo shoot, which we always got invited. The British team always got lots of invites to go to the photo shoot the day after. And this was to um, collect all the images for Natural Bodybuilding and Fitness magazine because they needed photos for their future issues. And a lot of those photos came from the competitions itself and from the photo shoots that happened the day after. And of course, this was the only chance that the photographers had to get the photos of the British athletes while we were actually in shape <coughs> in New York. So we spent a lot of time together at the photo shoots. And I remember having lots of great conversations with all, all the British team, you know, the day after when we could let our hair down and, and, and eat a little bit of food and relax. You know, so before the show, everything was always a little bit tense. So you, you couldn't really relax and, and sit back and chill out with everyone before the show because there was always so much to do as well. We were busy filling out forms. There was a lot of forms to fill out to, to compete out there. Um, there was a lot of running around to do to, to get all your food sorted because we weren't allowed to take food into, you know, overseas. There's, there's a lot of restrictions on things like that. Um, and we had to do all the drug testing as well. Every athlete had to be drug tested at the WMBF World. So it was an absolute, you know, the organisational, you know, it was it was there was a huge amount to get through to to get all the athletes ready for the stage. So there was yeah. definitely a, a, a sort of before and after to the show. You know, lot lots of stress before, lots of relaxation afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, and uh, I was just going to ask, um, th this is just out, out of interest, when you won the, uh, the two, 2006, when, when you took that uh, overall title, how, um, how did you get that trophy back? <laughs> In bits. I had to dismantle it because it wouldn't go um, into an overhead. <laughs> into an overhead cabin or it, it was also too big to go into the hold as well and, and I think it would have just broken up so fortunately it's unscrewed and um, I managed to just spread the parts between my hand luggage and my suitcase everything was wrapped in towels and clothes and, and very very carefully to make sure it didn't get damaged and I got it back in, in one piece but it was big I mean that trophy's huge it was probably about four foot tall and yeah. uh, it, it weighed it weighed a lot. I think I, you know, it bumped my luggage weight over the limit. I think <laughs> basically, yeah. If, <laughs> if if uh, if no one's seen that, then have a look on on John's website. There's some pictures, of, uh, and it'll just um, yeah, just blow your mind on on how he's uh, transported that from New York. So, uh, but just, but it, it it's awesome hearing that uh, those stories there because uh, it's something Lee touched on about the. the 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 sort of importance of, of a sort of up and coming competitor knowing the history and and the you know the the champions uh, that, have, that have sort of paved the way uh, and I think it's you know I've said this a few times it's it it's you know undoubtedly the sport the way it is in the UK today would not be the way it is if it weren't for the likes of you know yourself Vicky Rob Nigel, Wes Clark, Cheryl. Um, I, I think it's it, it is important to to have that context and and know about the history of the sport. Um, personally, that's that's what I think. Um, I agree. Um, there was a, an awful lot of work that was done back in those early days, and 
going back to the BNBF, but before that, the A&B as well, going back in the 90s. I mean, this, this predates my history with the with natural bodybuilding, so I didn't get involved until 2001. But there, there was a lot that went on, even teams that went out to the Worlds um, pre-2000. I think the BNBF's first team that went out was 2000. That would have been like Vicky, Karen Mason, Andy Palmer, Andy Farrell, Nigel Davis. And then that was one of the first teams that went out in 2000. And that's what got hooked me, hooked into natural bodybuilding, was seeing an article on the British team and, and the, reading about the WNBF pro status. And, and that just, just connected with me, resonated, and that got me involved. So it's bit, you know, these little pieces of the jigsaw um, over history is, is what's responsible for pulling people in and, and pushing the sport forward. So you know, if I, I had not seen that article in that magazine, I probably I may never have found out about the Federation and not made my comeback. So you, know, you could be sat here talking to another natural bodybuilder, so <laughs> things could be completely different. But yeah, I mean, they had some great results. I mean, just going back to like, um, you know, Nigel again, because like Nigel, when I faced Nigel, he'd already had like three world attempts already in the bag before he, he faced me in competition and eventually won. I think he'd got two runner-up spots at the Worlds in like 2000 and, and 2002, losing out to uh, Dave Goodin one year and then, Paul nailed another. And then I think in his first year, I mean, if we can wind the clock back even further, I think Nigel's first competition there was in 96. Um, I think that might that was his first show. I don't think he placed too well um, in that one. But a uh, little small fact here, the guy who won was that show in the lightweights was Kai Green. Yeah, I we all, so, yeah. We all know who Kai Green is now, don't we? So, yeah. but, but Kai Green started out in the WNBF as a natural bodybuilder. And I remember Nigel telling me that story about being on stage with Kai. And um, it, it's um, it's quite an, an interesting story that, but even back then he, he, he was a big guy. Yeah, for a lightweight, obviously a short a short guy, but uh, yeah, he won that show in 96. But there's, there's lots of little pockets of, of, of history that, that, that died back there. And it's important to get this stuff on the record um, through shows like this, definitely. Yeah. and. Uh... You, you mentioned about Kai Green there. I believe, didn't you also uh, compete in a show where Sean Clarida was, was, wasn't he in one of the, I'm trying to look back now. Um, he was. You know, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know Sean is. Yeah. Was it 07? Uh, See, I, yeah, this, this might be tricky for me recalling the exact date here. I definitely competed against Sean Clarida. Um, I, I, you may even have been, um, you know, 2003 um, in my first show. He competed as a lightweight, um, yeah. and um, he didn't he didn't win. I, I, I think the show I remember him competing, which may have been 2003, but I need to, to, to double check on that. But he he, he was up there, top three. Um, I think he did get beat. You know, by uh, possibly uh, Brian Whitaker mm-hmm. and um, and uh, Luis Santiago. Oh no, no, um, mind you, that was 2006 when I, when, I, when Luis Santiago competed. So, but yeah, sure, just to sort of summarise, I, I definitely know Sean Clarida competed um, in the in the era that I was competing. 
He was a much smaller guy, obviously, you know, competing in the natural ranks. And, and good, very, you know, very compact, tiny, tiny joints. Um, and um, you could see there was, there, there was a lot of potential there. But he decided, obviously, at some point to exit the WNBF and follow a different path, you know, like Kai Green and, and, and pursue the IFBB ranks. And obviously, we, you know, we all know what happened there. He's, he's, he's done quite well. By, yeah. by reports in the IFBB, hasn't they? So. Mm. Yeah. Um, bef- before I move on, Chris, have you have you got any any further questions oh. at the moment? Before um, I've, I've I've got a big long list. So. Uh, have we right? Well, you, I mean, you feel? just something sprung to mind there with you saying, you know, with, with the likes of Kai Green, Sean Clarida making that decision to break away from the WNBF and and chase the, um, you know, the, I suppose. The, the big leagues, for, for want of a better expression. What kept, um, is that, did that thought ever cross your mind um, way back? Or have you always wanted to uh, remain natural? Yeah, it, for me, there was a very small period when I was 19. I'd just returned from the IFBB Worlds. So I started out in the EFBB as a junior. Yeah. And I got an invite to compete in the IFBB Worlds in '94 when I was 19. So I did that show, but it was a whitewash for me. I didn't, I didn't even crack, I didn't crack the top six. I'm guessing I placed somewhere between maybe six and ten. I never actually got my scorecard though, so I can't go on record with my placement. But I, I know I was up against assisted athletes in that show. I could just tell by, by the way they looked. Um, even though it was a drug-tested event. Um, you know, you, my, my, my sixth sense told me something. But coming back on that plane journey, it was um, that was the last show I did as a junior. And uh, even though I, I love the experience, I felt slightly demoralised because I thought, you know, I'm never going to win on this playing field because I felt I knew I was on an uneven playing field. Um, and then it was a case of, well, there's two ways we can level this playing field up. Either I go on the gear and, you know, go back and compete in the FBB and, and maybe the IFBB if I was successful again and then really ramp things up or I decide to stay clean and, and just carry on. Um, as it happened, I decided to stay clean, um, but I didn't pursue any more bodybuilding at that point either. Um, I made a decision to, to actually draw a line under the sport and, and carry on with, with other aspects of my life. But I did have the conversation with myself, yes. Um, it wasn't a very long conversation. <laughs> for me it, it, i never entered the sport to be the biggest guy on there to win you know try and win like the, the you know the big league ifbb shows my health was always more important to me and there was a host of other reasons why i didn't want to go down that route as well um and certainly you know when, when i was in the wmbf competing i had already made that decision to stay natural so that that thought never re-entered my head again you know like you know, just touching back to say Kai Green, you know, who, who competed in the, in the WNBF, got to the very top and then made a decision yeah. to, to jump leagues to the IFBB and then everything else that comes with that de- decision. I'd already been through that process years and years ago. So, you know, for me, at that point, WNBF was my pinnacle. There was no further ladder to climb. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, j- just out of interest for everyone, uh, whilst you were talking there, I was just uh, searching. So it was actually the 2007 Worlds where Sean Clarida he took second to Brian Whitaker in the in the lightweight class. Okay. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, good. 
So, uh, moving on slightly, we, we were talking a little bit about your sort of hiatus from, uh, was, it, was it about seven years from, from your EFBB junior days to when you came back uh, in, I believe, 2001 uh, yeah. with the BNBF. Um, I was just a little bit interested about that period and whether, from a personal perspective, looking back, you're sort of glad that you did that because it's obviously quite an important time in your life. You know, you're, you're sort of late teens, early 20s. Uh, you were pursuing a career. Um, you know, there's obviously lots of life experiences, university, college, things like that, uh, which, you know, potentially if you were sort of consistently competing throughout that period of time, you, you, you know, could maybe have missed out on certain things. So is that something that you sort of look back on and think that you, you, you're glad you did or, or you hadn't really given it much thought? It's a very good question, Tom, and I don't actually believe even being asked this one before. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one to ponder because there's a lot of things that happened in those seven years which steered my life plan. So my gut feeling on that question is that I'm glad I took that time off because if I'd competed throughout those years, knowing the kind of person that I am, in the sense that if I was competing, I would have pushed everything to the side. Um, I think I would have struggled to, to, um, to graduate you know, with, with an honours degree. Um, I think I would have struggled to get my first job in the software industry and I, if I was competing um, and, and struggled to, to climb the career ladder. And I mean, like just, just, to, just, just to sort of look at it from another angle as well, <laughs> from, a per, you know, from a personal point of view, um, in 2007, you know, I went out on a on a boys' holiday and met my future wife. So if I was dieting for a contest in '97, I, w- I wouldn't even have met my wife because I wouldn't have been on a lads' holiday. So yeah. <laughs> you know, there's lo- little things like this. So you know, I had to live a normal life in order to make those little decisions, which actually can lead you down a path into bigger things. Um, so I'm glad I took that time out. I mean, you could argue that if I was competing throughout um, the late 90s, that I could have perhaps accelerated my progress into the natural. You know, for, this is assuming I'd found the ANB in the, in the late 90s because the BMBF didn't exist. So I'd have had to find the ANB and then work through the ANB amateur ranks and then hopefully won an overall. This was when Keith Fox was in charge, wasn't it? Keith Fox ran the AMB. So, um, yeah, there would have been a whole ladder to climb there. And then maybe, arguably, if I'd have done really well, I could have found myself on some of those early trips, you know, maybe back in, you know, 96 or, or 98, 2000, something like that. But would it have made that much difference? I don't know. Um, I, I still class myself as relatively youngish when I, turn pro um, in 2003 I was 28 so yeah I, if I'd have left it another 10 years then I maybe I would, there would have been a sense of regret 
that I'd left things a bit too late. But I, I still think I was young enough to be able to go at full steam ahead with, with bodybuilding and, and, and reap, you know, the, the most I could from the sport in yeah. the years that I've got left. Yeah, that's a good point for a lot of the junior, you know, teens and juniors that are coming through the ranks. So of course, some of them are very, very good, and it's going to be great to watch those those um, people develop and become uh, even better bodybuilders. But maybe not spend quite as much time on that, and to you know, con- and concentrate on other aspects of life because. At the end of it all, you know, the, them stages are all like we, it's it's a cliche thing that we say now. The stage is always going to be there, um, you know. And but there are other things that are, are actually quite important in life. And, it, and whilst we all love bodybuilding and training and things like that, you know, it's, it's important. Then I think what we're trying to get at is that that, that bal- strike that balance between both. Um, enjoy it, compete, but don't neglect uh, the people um, around you and and. and other experiences because yeah you don't want to get to a certain age um and look back and regret um having not done some things so that's a guy that's just a great point that you've made there and i hope that some uh, some of the younger ones take it on board and, and whilst continue to take it seriously uh, yeah don't 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 push it too far and don't push people away because yeah no i think that tells its own story doesn't it yeah no it's it very uh, very interesting to hear your thoughts on that John and uh, I mean during that period were were you still sort of consistently training and sort of following a bit of a you know nutrition plan Uh, you know we we, we are still sort of on a bodybuilding focused sort of training schedule sort of Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say I was. I was the strictest person during that period. I was a young man in my early twenties, enjoying myself. So yes, I was training. I was hitting the gym, but it, I was taking little layoffs here and there. I was cheating on my diet. I was drinking a, a little bit of alcohol here and there, doing all the normal stuff that young men do, having fun, and you know, and and I had to do it that way. I, I couldn't be. You know, I couldn't be religious about training in that period. I mean, if I was religious, then I would have been competing. So I made a decision to not compete. Therefore, everything, all the ramifications of not competing were allowed to unfold, i.e. I was able to let my hair down, take holidays every year with my friends, uh, meet people, have fun, build up my life experience, build up my career, um, set up my business because I set up my first business in 1999 and um, I don't think I would have had the, you know, the resources or the willpower to have been brave enough to do that in 99 if I'd have got a, a calendar full of contests to do. It just wouldn't have ever happened. So um, I needed I needed a lot of freedom around me to, to make those big decisions. So, yeah, my advice to juniors would be to, to train um, – and, you know, get in the gym, keep training, add in mass, eat well, be careful about it. I'm not saying don't compete as a junior. I competed as a junior. So you can still compete as a junior and you, and, or in your early 20s as a, you know, in the open division or novice division. But just do not do it and sacrifice other important aspects of your life growing up 
try and get the balance right. And it's a hard balance to do. I know what it's like because bodybuilding is a very all-consuming sport. And um, it can be very easy to just like push everything away to make room for bodybuilding so you can commit. But um, yeah, it's be, be, be careful. And, and, and Or if you do want to compete, maybe think about competing and then taking a year or two off in between your shows. You know, you don't have to compete every single year. I mean, I came back to the sport and I had a big run of competing back to back for, for about four years. But even then, after that, I needed a break. But I was in my late 20s then. So all the my career was sorted out. I bought my first house. Things were kind of in place. Yeah. You know, I've got, I got yeah. stability there. And if I had attempted to shoot for a pro card in my early 20s let's say if i'd followed the a and b route and wanted to get my pro card then you know i could i could be still living in my mom and dad's house because <laughs> you know, i'd have never i'd have never sort of gone out and done all those big things you have to do as a young man to set your life up you know and and yeah. um maybe that's a slightly extreme example but I, I i've always been quite an extreme bodybuilder anyway and and, and dedicated once i'd flipped that switch to compete so i was always very careful that um things in my life were very stable around me when, when i flipped that switch to compete because a lot i'd make a, a huge amount of sacrifices um yeah i think i think that's it isn't it? obviously we you know all three of us here absolutely love bodybuilding uh but it's being mindful that i suppose there's a there's a right time uh and 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 what you don't want to do is is look back in future years and say oh well i, I I regret missing out on X, Y, and Z because of, you know, bodybuilding is, it's a difficult one, isn't it? But I think, I think you've sort of summarized things, you know, very well there, John. And and it's, um, and like Chris says, the stage is always going to be there. Um, whereas certain other experiences may not be, and, and you have to sort of just make the most of, of those at the time. So, um, any more thoughts on that, or should we should we move on? No, um, yeah, I, I, I think I, that's covered it pretty well. You, you've covered it really well there, and um, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, and um, the the next uh, thing I, I was just going to talk about is uh, I know I know you, you you talked quite a bit with AJ about about training in general. Um, I was just quite <clears> interested about the uh, the the famous cabin gym. Uh, <laughs> For those of you that don't know, uh, John John built his own uh, log cabin in his garden, which became his gym. Uh, and there's still, I think, the article's still on your website, isn't it? It is. Um, and uh, from what I believe, you, you trained actually predominantly in in there. Uh, you know, in your run up to the 2006 Worlds, and and I was just interested um, about, you know training on your own in a, in a home environment did you ever find find it difficult to motivate yourself um or you know have you always been sort of quite self-motivated to train on your own uh, and if you did have any difficulties how, how did you overcome them that's that's a good question um well when i first built the gym it was built in 2005 when i was having a year off from competing so i needed a project keep me busy so I built the gym then uh, it was a big log cabin and I made a point of, of kitting it out with the best kids I could 
I could afford basically. So I saved up all my pocket money and bought good quality Cybex equipment. And it, it's lovely to train on. And I really enjoyed training in there in the first year because it was I was like a kid in a sweet shop. It was it was all brand new. Well, refurbished equipment, but it felt brand new. And it was just a novelty. So I got a home gym, which I'd always wanted. And it was all my kit handpicked. And I was training in a lovely little environment. I had quite a limited selection of kit. But no, I didn't, I didn't struggle at all in that first year or two. Obviously, 2005, I didn't compete. But 2006, I came back. But just knowing that I was making a comeback in 2006, that was enough to motivate me. I knew I'd be up against some incredible physiques that year at the Worlds. Every year, it's always stacked with talent. So just going into the gym and, and knowing that certain people might be there who I'd be up against was, was enough fire for me. I always found that offered ample motivation to, to get the job done in the gym. I didn't necessarily need a training partner. And I'd conditioned myself to train without a training partner as well. I went through that process. And, and that's not to say training partners aren't useful. You know, I always enjoy training with people and I still do now. But I did recondition myself to train alone. Um, so 2006, no problem at all. Um, fully motivated. 2007 was, was a little bit harder because I'd, I'd won the Worlds and then I was coming back as a defending champion. And so I had to change my mindset that year. I was I went from being the underdog to you know sort of top dog um, and where everyone was trying to take me down. So you have to kind of re realign your you know your, your sort of mental approach at that point. And I did struggle a little bit in 2007 to get through my workouts, um, but then found found a yeah real realign my sights and thought you know I'm only probably going to be in this position once where I'm defending a title, so I make the most of it. Um, the 2007, you, you know, it was, it was an up and down year for me. Um, I, I did lose my mother um, that year uh, later on towards my prep, um, and that did you know, derail my my prep to some degree. And but I carried on training because that was a good um, a good distraction for me. I could throw myself into my training, and that really helped me get through the you know the bereavement process. Um, I wasn't. Perhaps arguably at quite my best that year, but certainly good enough for, for second. But it's very interesting. And, and, and I train on my own now. And I've, I've still got, I'm, I haven't got the cabin anymore. I've since moved house. So I'm training in a new space now, um, training in my garage. <laughs> and I do hope to make um, uh, the cabin 2.0 at, <laughs> at some point in, in, in the future, um, hopefully bigger and better. Yeah, well, I, I was I was fortunate. I don't know if you remember this, John. I was fortunate to actually uh, see the cabin. I, I had a, when I think it was 2015. I had a like a posing consultation with you before some of the some of the shows in 2015. And it, well, it was it was you know a relatively small space, but like you say, just kitted out with absolutely everything. You know, quality quality kit. Um, so yeah, re really interesting and something I think that uh, everyone would be envious of uh, at the moment. Um, but but going going forward, when you're talking about the 2007 prep there, um, I remember at the time there was uh, there was quite a lot of hype going into that world. With it, it was almost like 
you versus Jim Cordova. I remember some, I think Lane Norton had a series on bodybuilding.com and, and it was sort of like you two were the front runners and it was, did, did you feel pressure going into that show, be, being sort of the reigning champion? Yes, I did. Um, I, I did sense there was added pressure. At that point, the bodybuilding communities online were quite active, so you'd, you'd see little pockets of conversation where people would start mentioning your name, whereas pre- in previous years they might have not mentioned your name. So, and the draw analogies that'd be like John versus Jim. You're absolutely right. There was a, there was a video made. Um, you know, on bodybuilding.com, I think perhaps they, they did a sort of a, a, a little video sequence of me versus Jim, the rematch, uh, you know, for 2008. So there, there was lots of hype surrounding that. And I'm not sure how I felt about it. That, that That's something that I'm not used to. So perhaps a little bit mixed feelings about it. Always nice to be mentioned, you know, and, and in, in a good light. It's, it's nice that people know who you are once you've achieved something it's nice for that achievement to be recognized but then you get the pressure of expectation to deliver and um i yeah i I sort of had a mixed relationship with that really because i've always been quite um comfortable with being the underdog and, and just you know keeping a relatively low profile going into shows um but yeah jim was a was formidable competitor and he, he won his pro card in the IMBF a few years prior, then came back in 2007. And we, we had a really good uh, a good fight on stage for that win. I mean, Jim came in um, heavier, very, very dense in the upper body, big shoulders, back arms. Um, he had a lovely shape to his legs. Perhaps his legs weren't quite as, as, as thickly developed as his upper torso, but the overall sort of flow worked really well. He got a lovely sort of, sort of classic physique, um, like a mini Arnold, really, in many ways. And, and I think that's how Natural Bodybuilding and Fitness magazine sort of pushed him as um, he got a magazine cover with uh, Natural Bodybuilding and Fitness. And um, I remember seeing him. Um, you know when he, you know when he won, and uh, on the magazine, I just thought, yeah, he's he deserved it. You know, he, he, we had a great battle, but if anyone was going to win, other than me in 2007, it, it was, um, you know, Jim. Jim was right up there, but he wasn't the only one. You know, we had uh, uh, Brandon Greenwood as well. You know, Brandon came through and improved. And 2007, Brandon, uh, I believe, got third. You know, I got second. Brandon got third, so he was chasing me. So there's, there's a whole number of guys who could have turned me over, you know, if, if I'd have slipped up. It was very small margins between all the places back then. Yeah, I mean, if looking through, um, you know, some of the placings on, you know, throughout those years that, you know, the 2004 to seven, some of the names in there, it's, you know, you've got the likes of yourself, Brandon, Brian Whitaker. Uh, Rodney Hilaire, um, even you know, I think people like Siobhan Cunningham were coming through as well. Um, yeah, if if anyone you know, just 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 to Google some of those uh, results from back in those days, it's um, it, it was really really was strength strength in depth. Um, 
So yeah, well, that's that's really good. Um, moving on, uh, Chris, do you want to? Have you got any other questions lined up there before before we no. move on? Let's move on. Okay. Um, so one one sort of big topic which uh, which thought it, you know we we absolutely had to cover, and it and it was obviously mentioned in your in your other podcast with AJ. Uh, was was the the John Harris Forum, which, which then became the Natural Muscle Forum. Um, for for people that don't know, it, it it was it it really was sort of like a hub for for natural bodybuilding um, before the days of of social media. Um, in terms of you know contest prep logs, uh, just general training and diet advice, um, as well as sort of show coverage. Um, so. I suppose kicking off with uh, when when did you first get the idea to to actually make the forum and like were you aware of of other forums at the time or or was it just sort of a you know I'll I'll, I'll see I'll see how this goes. Um, so going back here to I think roughly two thousand and three. So. For me, setting up the forum was, wasn't actually that big a deal because I'm trained as a computer engineer anyway. Um, I've got programming skills. So it wasn't a, an enormous decision for me. It was something I actually managed to knock up quite quickly in my spare time um, just because I, I wanted to do a little bit more for natural bodybuilding and, and, and get out there. And because there weren't many forums relating to natural bodybuilding at all. I think there was... You know, you got you got like the, the the big mainstream bodybuilding forums out there. I think like Muscle Mayhem, Get Big, places like that, but not much for natural bodybuilding. I think the BMBF had a little forum uh, and the website, which has grown into something more you know bigger in in more recent times. But back then, there wasn't anything that was not relating to or not associated with the federation. No independent platform in the UK, and I did note that. Um, so yeah, I set up the forum in you know three. Tagged the um, it was the website and forum on, on my own personal website. This wasn't on Natural Muscle. It was on I think I was on JohnHarris.net back at the time. But I, I yeah, I tagged the forum on and didn't expect it to do anything. But I think within the course of a few weeks, we were up to maybe you know a dozen members, and then it just snowballed from there. And, and I think by the time we got a year fast forward to 2004 we got a few hundred members and then it was a few hundred more members and then it was a thousand members and, and it got it got pretty big and by the time we were up to sort of 2005 2006 it was pretty much the hub for for natural bodybuilding in the uk it, it, it stayed there there was, there was another forum called uk muscle um which jay Rickaby ran um, just yeah. to give just to give credit there and Giles Thomas um, and that was like an alternative place um, which had a slightly different flavour to my forum but between the two there was there was always like lots of you know um, lots of topics covered and you always felt you could you know if you if you felt uncomfortable talking about something on, on their form, you could talk about it online and vice versa. So there's even, you know, maybe a little bit of friendly rivalry between the two, which is never a bad thing. But I was very proud of the forum and really enjoyed working with it, especially in its peak, you know, I'd say between 2005, 2015, that, those sort of 10 years, 
it was a real hub of activity and great to see champions come through it as well. People like latch on and, and learn and absorb knowledge and then actually see them through their journals and through their contributions follow their career and, and, and see them actually do their their contest their first contest and progress and win we were very fortunate to have some quite big names go through the forum over the years um uh, yeah people like, like like ben howard you know matt argo glenn danbury um you know dean garrett so yeah there's lots and lots of, i mean i'm missing out names here there's, there's, there's dozens and dozens cheryl myers you know the five-time you know, world champion. Uh, so we've we've had lots of contributions over the years from people who have um, have dipped in and out of the forum, and it's just great to have them a part of it and follow their journey because a lot of those journeys were um, documented on the forum in one way or another, either through the, tra- the training log or just you know small contributions here and there. Yeah, it it, it really was, and 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 I think as well there was there was also a lot of big names who who had gone into you know do other things than than just bodybuilding. So I I don't if you remember Mark, Martin McDonald was was quite big on the forum. He went on yeah. to obviously become quite a uh, you know very successful in in sort of nutrition and um, you know his, his sort of Mac nutrition business, and then. I remember as well, uh, Sam Bond, uh, who used to compete as a heavyweight, he he went on to become a Atlas the Gladiator, didn't he? That's right, yeah. Um, I did an interview with Sam Bond um, shortly after he got the gig to become a, a Gladiator. Everyone was so excited for Sam because he was um, he was a heavyweight natural competitor and, you know, he, he really landed on his feet with that one. And... Um, yeah, I managed to get an interview with him shortly after he um, he got asked to, to, to you know, join the Gladiator team, and uh, I think it's still on. Might even still be on Natural Muscle in the archives. So I dig it out. And and, and I, you you've mentioned something important there: how people have sort of you know gone on in bodybuilding and not just become great bodybuilders, but we've had people gone on and done other things relating to the bodybuilding industry. So you talk about Sam being. Uh, you know gladiator we've had people set up supplement companies i mean glenn danbury for example you know, went through the forum and we've seen him not only become a, a great you know bodybuilder and, and and strength and coach athlete but also you know setting up a nutrition company as well so there's um there's, there's lots of stories that, that um of, of, of success stories from people who've been through uh, natural muscle and just great to be a part of it definitely absolutely and, and that just triggers my memory as well when uh, I think it was on on your forum back in the sort of mid early mid 2000s when when you mentioned Jason Rickaby who just set up PhD nutrition um, and they were sort of giving away free samples of their way and then obviously things snowballed very quickly into into this hugely successful company um but you know they they came from from those sort of small humble beginnings and and sort of building their their name on on the likes of you know of your forum um well uh, yeah yeah. jason mickaby um i know jason very well i've not spoken to him much in recent times he's a a very busy man i'd imagine running his supplement company right now but jason was very visible through the natural muscle site as well as the uk muscle site so 
he was quite a high profile individual before he even set up his supplement company. So if you're in that position where, you know, you're benefiting from lots of exposure, become a, a high profile name, it, it just helps with that launch of that new business because people can connect you to that product because uh, they know who you are. So yeah, it's uh, he's gone places there and they've done really well for himself. And I'm, I'm really pleased for him. Yeah. yeah. No, it really, really was sort of a, a, a sort of community that even in recent times, I've sort of been at shows and, and spoke spoken to people who I've never actually met before, but, you know, remember from, from forums and, and, and things like that. And it's, uh, it, you know, it, it really was, uh, you know, a, a hub uh, to help sort of drive the sport forward. Um, Obviously, you know, going going forward, social media sort of changed the game uh, quite significantly. And um, did did you obviously when you saw things winding down and the popularity of forums becoming less, you know, less popular? Did did you ever have any thoughts of of setting up anything similar on the likes of sort of YouTube, Instagram, uh, Facebook? Mm, this is an interesting one this time because it kind of, the whole thing kind of snuck up on me um, gradually. It wasn't an overnight shift. I mean, you've got these absolute gigantic tech giants like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, which have emerged gradually over the last 10 years or so. So in a way, they sort of snuck up from behind and didn't initially see it coming, um, I must admit. But once they established themselves there, we, we lost a lot of traffic from the forum to, to these to these you know tech juggernauts, and never got it back, and it, and it changed the landscape. Um, and I did wonder like what I could do to sort of mitigate that. I mean, I I can't really you know compete with the likes of of, of, uh, of Facebook and. And, uh, and and Instagram and and maybe there's something you could do on there, but people have got their own spaces, haven't they, on these platforms? So I'm not sure whether I could offer anything as unique as, as the Natural Muscle Forum because the, the forum has, has actually got had something that that these other places haven't got. You know, this very structured way of, of posting and recording things um, and accessing the information through a search that is very powerful and and, and with great filters. And, and the ability to sort of post photos, keep them there, keep training logs. There's actually a lot more technology, you could argue, built into the form than there are in these other platforms. But um, my idea was maybe if I was going to do more with Natural Muscle, it, it may be more along the lines of video content because the thing I've noticed over recent years is the way people absorb information is different. Uh, people tend to prefer to, to listen to information rather than read it now, um, possibly because it's easier to do. You can put your headphones on, you can tune into a one, two, even three hour podcast whilst doing something else. And you can't do that when you're reading. So I think video has changed things. And I think YouTube is is definitely the future and just video in general. So that's where I'm looking now is, um, is video. And um, and YouTube, what you guys are doing now, what we're doing, sitting here doing now, I think this is the future, definitely. Yeah, and I suppose that that leads on quite nicely talking about about video. Um, 
some people might might not be aware, but you you actually f- filmed your own sort of training DVD, didn't you? Called Self Built. Um, h- how did the idea come about for that? Um, how did you sort of set it up? And um, more importantly for people, is is it still available uh, so people can see how you know how how you trained? It is available. I'll answer the last question first. Yes, the video is still available. And um, <laughs> yes, apologies. Um, the, the the video was filmed in two thousand and seven, so that was shortly after um, I won the two thousand and six world. So I stayed actually stayed on my diet um, a little while to get that film because I, I wanted to keep my condition. And uh, it was filmed in the in my log cabin gym over the course of a few weeks. Um, I had some help with the cameras. It was filmed on two cameras so we could get different angles of all the exercises and um, just cover sort of four days of training, I think, plus nutrition and some posing. And the reason the reason I did it was was mainly I wanted to um, there was there wasn't many videos out there on natural bodybuilding. So I thought, well, there's, you know, It'd be nice to do something, to get something on the record for, for, for natural bodybuilding um, in the form of a video, because it's, it's, it's a market which hasn't really, you know, hasn't, there's not much has happened in that arena. And from a personal perspective, you know, I did think, well, it would be nice to get my training on record whilst I'm at the peak of the sport. Um, I didn't want to do it at the, later on down the line when I'd retired. I wanted to do it right at my very best, which was, shortly after 2006 and uh, the, yeah the video has, has, has done okay you know it's um I've sold copies all over the world um mostly to the UK but also overseas and I've had some nice feedback from people on the video and I still hear stories now of people saying oh I've got your video out last week and watched it and you know do you remember this this and this and it's nice that people still have access to it but it's on my website at johnharris.com you can you can still buy it and um yeah it's i did a little ebook as well at the same time um so self-built was the dvd and i did a book um, which is available in ebook version now um called pro natural and um that's on disc and and again that covers my well actually that covers the greatest span of of my career, like starting from right at the beginning in my junior days, right up until, you know, my, um, you know, turning pro. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, written content in that and then lots of info on training and diet too and posing. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it covers all bases that. Yeah. Well, I need to dig that out. It, it'll come to no surprise, you know, no surprise to people that I've, I've got both of those somewhere. Uh, hidden away so uh yeah that, that was that was cool um moving moving forward um what about the sort of strive for your, for your pro card so in in the early days you talked about um looking up to the likes of you know lee labrada bob paris and these these sort of big name ifbb guys what once you sort of became familiar with the the BMBF and then the WMBF did, did you then start following you know the the, the natural bodybuilding uh, you know the guys at the top there and, and and were you were you sort of looking up to those pros uh, you know once you were sort of striving to get that pro card I did Tom uh, it was quite 
and it a natural progression really I, I needed a new focus competing in the the bmbf and something to to look up to and the guys who were winning then were as you mentioned like the likes of nigel davis um dave goodin that those two were, were the big ones in my mind because they were both middleweights and they were both you know world champions or certainly at the time nigel was you know the, the top british pro and second in the world so um and, and i got to meet nigel several times as well so i got to see him in the flesh and and see the dimensions of the guy and what he looked like and he you know he always looked very good even clothed you know he got the big delts he got a big chest um small waist you know he's uh, he's got a certain presence when you when you see him um obviously he looks even better when he's uh, on stage um but yeah i cottoned onto that pretty quick and uh, had these guys pretty much on pedestals as i was always competing um andy palmer was another one yeah so and andy palmer competed he, he obviously wasn't part of the bmbf team um as i came in but you know andy palmer went out i think in when was this uh he went out in two, 2000 and finished fourth in the wmbf worlds so um so he he, he was one of the top guys and obviously we see more of Andy Palmer now because he's competing. He, he did very well in the WNBF uh, World's sort of Masters division, Grandmasters, and um, and got the win. So he's actively competing today. So th these were the people who I was looking up to and trying to um, learn about, you know, adding size and whilst getting the condition because I still had to figure out. I had a lot of stuff to, to figure out um, before I turned pro. A lot of things to learn um, before you know I, I, I could make that transition. I'd, I had to get through a lot of competition as well. It was uh, my early shows at the BNBF. You know, I suffered. I, I always finished high, but uh, you know, I, I, yes, I got that. Yeah, I had, to, I had to get through some some tough opposition to get that pro card, and and, and a lot of things to learn. Mm. Yeah. Um. So I think that that sort of leads on a little bit to what I wanted to just talk about um, something that you touched on in in, uh, in in AJ and Lee's podcast was uh, the dominance of of the UK team through that you know early two thousands with you know with the likes of yourself Nigel uh, Rob Brandon and then obviously Cheryl and and Vicky. Um, do you think do you think the structure that we've got in the UK is is sort of largely responsible for for how well the the UK guys and girls do over in you know when they when they compete overseas because I think even today uh, I think there's been a maintenance of that sort of structured system of um, you know going through regional qualifiers then going to finals and then having you know generally one one pro card at the end of it per year do you, do you think that sort of filters down and, and sort of breeds uh you know the, the cream of the crop basically i think you've summed it up perfectly there tom really um there's there's a bottleneck essentially um to, to get out of the amateur ranks into the pro ranks in the UK. There always has been because we've 
we've only got that one big show where people can turn pro, which is which is the British finals. But you've got this, as you say, filtration process of qualifiers and British finals and overalls that you know just takes a group of 100 bodybuilders or whatever it is down to one. And so you inevitably that that one person or two people, you know, or how, whatever small number of people it is that that turn pro in whatever divisions that year, inevitably then are of very high standard. Um, they have to be. And then, you know, a, a good consequence of that is if they then go out and compete at the Worlds or at an international comp, they stand a very good chance of doing well because they've had such a hard time to turn pro in the first place. They've really had to up their game to to get that pro card. And that's what's happened over the past. You know, we, we've turned upon the, the world scene and done well. We've always been up there somewhere in the medals and, and on some occasions, you know, high in the medals as well or even winning. And um, it's, a, it, it's an interesting observation and we've had lots of discussions about this on the forum back in the day, not just about the, the way it is in Britain and whether we should offer more pro cards. I mean, that was one discussion, but another comparison was, do all of the countries giving away too many pro cards? I mean, that was another sensitive topic um there's more qualifiers out there in the states but it's a bigger country so they're gonna have more shows aren't they but therefore they were churning out pros at a faster rate than the uk were but then there was always the discussion of are there pros of a high standard as ours and you know it's 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 a very difficult apples and oranges type debate and i don't think you you know you can do a straight comparison of the uk with say America, because they're two, you know, the two completely different countries, different size, different talent pools in bodybuilding. I mean, bodybuilding is big over here, but it's even bigger in the States. You know, there's a lot more bodybuilders out there, so they're going to have more pros. But, cool. uh, but the, yeah, the standard's super high over here. always has been. It's something we should be proud of. With all the federations, it's always yeah. been right up there. And conditioning as well. Like we're, we're big on conditioning in this country, aren't we? So... I always yeah. have been, you know, that work ethic, it's 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 in us and um it's you know, that it made it hard for me to, to <laughs> my pro card. I really had to figure out how to get my condition nailed before I was able to, to turn pro in two thousand and three and I had a lot to learn to, to get to that point, but eventually I figured it out, you know. Mm. Yeah, and and did you, when when you first got that that pro card um, and you went straight over to New York, um, obviously, you know the, the results speak for themselves, and and you you took second in in your class in your very first uh, Worlds there. But you, you briefly touched on this before. Did did you feel straight away like you belonged there, or or did you feel a bit out of your depth, and did it take you? like a bit of time to acclimatise to, to being in the pro ranks? There's two sort of ways I can answer this question. Um, when I finally turned pro in 2003, I did feel like I was ready to, to, to become a pro because I'd spent the whole of 2002 and 2003 prepping like a pro should. So I was eating clean in the off-season didn't allow my weight to, to, to escalate. I was being very strict with my diet, didn't take a holiday, 
uh, or if I did, I was very careful on the holiday with what I ate. So I, I made all those sacrifices that I thought a pro should. So I kind of lived the life of a, of a pro in the sense that I was very strict on myself in 2002. So when I got the pro card, I kind of felt ready for it. But then when I went out to compete in the Worlds, it was such a shock on how they run the show out there and the way they they move the athletes around on stage and and they they've got such high expectations of you on stage to perform um it's relentless up there um and the, the lineups are absolutely enormous you know we're talking 15 20 guys on stage at once and i was completely unprepared for that um and, and slightly overwhelmed and obviously I, I wasn't prepared to be stood by in between Nigel Davis and Dave Gooding either side of me, you know, and, and being moved around in that kind of cluster in the middle. Obviously, I had a very good year going out in 2003, and 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 that that kind of shocked me. But um, so I had to kind of adapt very quickly. And I don't think it, that first year I was I was fully ready for that. Maybe 2004, I, you know, I, I was. So yeah, maybe it took a full year to get used to, you know, the what was expected um, on a pro stage. Yeah, yeah, and um, obviously you 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 continue to make those improvements each year, and 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 actually took the year out in in two thousand and five, and came back and 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 claimed that that title. Um, when well, we had Brian Whitaker on 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 the podcast not too long ago, and and I think he he was talking about this. Because obviously it, it was such a strive to to get to that point of of winning a WNBF overall title for him. That was his big goal, and almost when he when he'd achieved it, it was just this massive sense of accomplishment. Of that was the one goal that he wanted to hit. Did did you feel like was it was it hard to motivate yourself after you'd 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 done that, or or did it? On the flip side of that, did it did it make you more motivated to want to sort of maintain and even improve on that? Well, first off, I'd say I was delighted for Brian to get that win. Um, just to go off on a small tangent there, I've, I've been following, tracking Brian's progress for, for many years and we we actually became very good friends. And before the Worlds, we'd, we'd have a little dialogue and um, Brian sometimes would use me as a sort of sounding board uh you know send me the a few photos through and i'd give him a you know an assessment and um it was i was always so eager to find out how brian did and um but you know when when he finally got the overall win i think i punched the air at my computer when i found out but yeah so that so that was one thing but just, just going to the sense of accomplishment yes i got that um after the 2006 win um a massive massive sense of accomplishment for me, that was a five-year-long campaign from 2001 to 2006 to get that world title because, yeah, it was always there at the back of my head, even from the early days. I thought, I'm on a long journey here and it's going to take many years to get there. But, you know, it, when, when I finally lifted that trophy, yeah, I had a, a huge sense of accomplishment and a sense of peace um, as well. And I think Brian, uh, I think I had this conversation with Brian too and, and he could relate to this. Um, it's almost like the, the, the fire gets dampened down a little bit, which kind of leads us to your next point, because with that sense of peace comes a sense of calmness and, and maybe a lack of aggression in the gym because you feel that you've achieved from the sport what you set out to get from it. 
So then when, when you go back into the following year, and for me, that was defending the world title. All of a sudden, I hadn't got that stuff in the basement anymore, that, that fire burning hard. And I had to sort of try and rekindle that flame for my um, for my defence. And that was a tricky thing to do. And the only thing I could, I could kind of like get a handle on was the fact that, look, you know, this might be my only chance to ever defend the title in my career. And I shouldn't waste that opportunity. And, 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 and let's just run with it. And the thing is, actually, I made some good gains in 2007. Um, got quite... Um, got, it's probably the biggest version of me that I'd ever built in the off season. Um, and, you know, I probably made some miscalculations coming down in the end in, in, in 07 that year. But, you know, it's, um, I know this is all ifs, buts and maybes, but I think if I'd, if I'd managed to sort of steer myself in in 07 in the way that I'd, I wanted to, you know, maybe I could have, like, you know, that could have been a version of, of me that was, um, that, that, that was, you know, significantly better than 06. But we'll never know. You know, the, the, it's, it's easy to talk about these things in hindsight, isn't it? But yeah, for sure, it's it's a different mindset um, after you uh, after you win a big one and then come back. And maybe this this is one reason that you don't see too many WNBF pros coming back time and time and time again once they've won the big one. Yeah, it does happen, but you don't see these huge strings of uh, of multi, you know. Of, of wins over, over many years I think we've maybe had guys win it a couple of times and no more I don't think anyone's done it three times have they so not yeah not that I'm aware of um no well, that's interesting insightful perspectives there um I guess switch, switching gears a little bit, uh, I just wanted to touch a little bit on something that you brought up on uh, again on, on AJ's podcast with Lee um, about this, these uh, Dr. Joe's muscle camps. Um, I, I know that I, I've got a feeling, were, were there some videos uh, around at the time where I think you posted some on the forum and it was it was over in the States with and I think Lane Norton might have been there and there was quite some big names and I think maybe Brian as well. Um, and you were, you were talking quite fondly about those and about the, you know, how valuable they were and, and sort of a really unique sort of gathering. Um, is that something that you'd, you'd, you'd put sort of quite a lot of thought into, into perhaps, you know, bringing over to the UK at some point in the future and, and that, I mean do you think it would work over here um, or, or is it is it more of just sort of an, an idea you had or um, is it something that you're you're sort of actually you know planning? Well I haven't got plans today we, we touched on it in the previous podcast with Lee and AJ and we didn't really expect to go there with that conversation so it's very much off the hoof discussion um and i've not thought about it much really that much since i came back i mean i, I think we had some discussions on it on the forum when i came back when i was posting up some photos from the events and talking about it and we had um we, we definitely had some forum threads on it and, and there's interest there whether it's the U, whether the UK is, is ready for something like this, I don't know. And, and if I'm being perfectly honest, I, I, I'm not sure if the muscle camps are still being run um, in the States at the moment by Joe or anyone else. I'm not sure because it's been a long time. This was 2007, so 13 years ago. 
So I'm, I'm not up to date on, on how even how popular muscle camps have been. Obviously, they've not been able to do anything like the kit yet, even the current climate with the lockdown. But yeah, um, sure. we're going to have to get through all that first. But it's an interesting and it's an open question. Um, I haven't got any plans. No, there's nothing that I'm hiding. Um, uh, I'm not suddenly going to announce some, uh, the uh, <laughs> Muscle Camp <laughs> 2021, but I'm always open to discussion. And you know, if, if someone likes the sound of the idea and wants to get involved in one way or another, either on an organisational side or they think it's something they would like, love to sign up to, you know, to learn more, then sure reach out to me through email, and you know, we'll we'll sort of make notes and. Where there's a will, there's a way in this thing, and and I always keep an open mind with ideas in bodybuilding to see if there's ways we can grow the sport and get more people in and and just have fun. You know, we've we've all been through a last a, a tough last few months with this lockdown situation, so I'm sure we all want to get out the other side of it and are looking forward to getting back to the gyms and whatnot and training. And uh, yeah, who knows where things could go 2021 20, and beyond. Um, I'm still actively involved in the sport, even though I'm not competing, I'm still judging. I've judged for all three of the natural federations, the BNBF, the MPA, and, the, and more currently the UK DFBA, I'm an active judge there. So I'm still very much involved with things and um, I want to continue to be involved with things. So, um, so maybe muscle camp is something we can, we can look at, you know. I'd like to have more discussions with people. So maybe if this is something that you can you know maybe talk to you know other guests about in the future and bring it up and we can kick the idea around and if there's enough enough demand there enough interest there then who knows maybe we could like get something off the ground um at some point and what do you guys think you know have you got any sort of ideas on it you know chris is i'd love that yeah I, I, i'd go <laughs> 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 certainly yeah um and you know talking to some of our um uk pros you know who, who they're obviously really passionate about the whole sport and uh giving back as well um i i, I personally think i mean i can't speak for them uh, for definite but th- th- there are certainly some that i'm sure would love to get involved in and and uh, and, and, and sort of that i mean a muscle camp rob waterhouse would be all over that mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i mean he's he's more than once he's like you know we, we've been talking obviously throughout this whole uh, covid19 thing and he's and being sort of um not able to go to work to do his normal day job has just absolutely relished basically being full-time bodybuilder um getting up cardio training cooking eating and you know all the rest of that and, and he's sort of deeply ingrained in it and he loves it so i, I think he's certainly a, a person that would probably love to get involved in something like that um but yeah no i i i'd relish the the the, uh, the opportunity for sure yeah i i i agree i think it would be uh, very well received and i think we're, we're in quite a unique sport aren't we where you, you've got such almost easy access to to it's it's pretty mind-blowing really that, that you can just you know we can sit here and chat to uh someone who has sort of reached the sort of elite levels of our sport um and and you know with with, with all of our guests and and it's it, you know it's quite unique about natural bodybuilding and i think if if there was something like that where people could gather uh you know like-minded people and and have something like a muscle camp you know i 
I very much think it would be extremely well well received. So um, I'm I'm sure that discussions will uh, will will maybe start start from here, and maybe some people will get in touch with you, John. Um, I think that's how the way. Yeah, it's how things these things start really. Um, just conversation and getting people talking. Um, it, yeah, it takes quite a degree of organisation, and you want to know that there's a you know, there's a market for it, really, that people want to get involved because you need to do it on some kind of scale, don't you? Um, you know, you, you need more than, a, more than a handful of people and you need people, both sides, you need people like to, to, to run it, um, whether they be sort of top-level amateurs or pros, you know, a mix of both. And you, you want people, you know, people to subscribe to it as well. And all that's got to be coordinated. You need a venue. You need people to stay. These yeah. things. Just, just going off the template when I went out, um, you know, to, to do this thing with, with Dr. Joan Indiana in Evansville back in 07. And it was very well organised. Joe, there was a bunch of us out there. There was me. There was Dr. Joe. Um, he had Dave Goodin. He had Jim Cordova. Um, Lane Norton was there. I mean, this this was before Lane Norton, you know, got hugely, hugely. I mean, he was popular back then, but he's like even more massively popular now. So it's good to have Lane there, and um, and we had a lot, a lot of people turn up to train with us, and it was all very tightly scheduled over two or three days. We had lots of training, one on one. Uh, nutrition, you know, meals all cooked for us and prepared. And, and, and in between all that, we had the seminars delivered. So, you know, we all got up and did little talks on training and nutrition, contest prep, posing, all these little classes which were dotted throughout the day over the course of two or three days. And then it was all topped off at the end with a big party. <laughs> uh, we all went out and uh, and had drinks, and it was it was all absolutely you know let our hair down. It was an incredible experience, and I, I always remember saying to, to Joe afterwards, you know, this is this is something we we need to sort of think about bringing back to the UK at some point. And it was a conversation that was that was sincere, but. Um, it just never quite got off the ground, and it, it's always been parked as an idea. And maybe, maybe at some point in the future, we can we can bring it to life. Mm-hmm. Watch, watch the space. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I suppose so, again. Sorry, go on. Go on. Oh, no, no, go on. <laughs> I was I was going to uh, maybe touch on some of our usual features there for a minute. Um, yeah. That, that's so. I, I just if we just want one more question and then we'll should we do both of those and then and then wrap yeah. up because we're coming just over an hour and a half. So, um, which is great. I, I, I suppose uh, just just one thing again, uh, which was touched upon um, in your other chat was was about uh, your contest prep sort of um, strategies and. You know, you, you very much favoured like a 12-week diet rather than sort of a more prolonged diet, which are popular with with, with other people. I was just interested in, as your thoughts on whether that approach relies on you staying, you know, relatively leaner uh, throughout the off season, um, and and if so what sort of how much heavier than your contest weight did you did you generally used to go 
It does uh, require you to stay leaner there, Tom. I probably went no more than £10, 12 at the most over my contest weight in the off-season. To do the 12-week diet, you can't blow up in the off-season and, and, and come down in 12 weeks unless you're losing body fat at a really rapid rate of knots. It's just not possible. And if you're losing weight at a fast rate, then you're going to be arguably losing muscle tissue in the process as well and going catabolic, aren't you? So things have to be carefully pieced together to do a successful 12-week diet. So, But it wasn't a problem for me to stay lean in the off-season. I was fully prepared to make that sacrifice as a pro. And I just saw that as part of the package. I thought if I'm going to be successful as a WMBF pro bodybuilder and try and get to that, you know, that pinnacle of the sport, uh, I'll live the bodybuilding lifestyle 24-7 and I'll eat clean. I, I don't think I hardly ever drank a, a drop of alcohol while I was competing at that level. Maybe the odd glass of wine at Christmas and birthdays, but nothing, you know, I wouldn't go out drinking every weekend. Um, I was never a big drinker anyway, so that, that, that wasn't a problem for me. But yeah, um, I, the thing is, I could not do a 20-week, 24-week diet. I just could not do it. I, When I flip the switch and decide to compete for a show, I'm, I'm, I'll become ultra-focused, and but I can only maintain that intensity for, you know, 12, maybe 14 weeks max. And if I was to go, I, I know that when I get to the end of that prep, I'm mentally exhausted. So if I was to, to even attempt to bulk up hard in the off-season and then come down hard over 20 weeks, I'll probably get to six weeks out and then just run out of steam and want to come off the diet so it's the strategy that worked for me it's not going to work for everybody some people maybe you know um prefer i know brian Whitaker just to use like another example of a guy who, who gets an incredible condition but he has a very extended diet period of you know best part of half a year i think yeah um he climbs up in body weight relatively high gets super strong in the off season and then diets gradually for quite an extended period of time but it works well for him so you know that that's that's great but it's everyone's got a different take on it and you need to figure out what works best for you but for me 12 weeks uh was was just perfect yeah and um i could lose if i got 10 pound over in the off season I could lose a pound a week for 10 weeks. Then I've got two weeks of contingency at the end to dial things in. Yeah. And well, it, it was uh, ideal. Did, did you used to do much, uh, like, did you employ much cardio in the off season? Very little, but then I am an active guy. I don't, when I'm away from the computer, I'm not doing my computer work. I do have quite a lot of, um, hobbies and interests outside the sport I love working on my house I love DIY I'm, I'm always active doing stuff and I'm a big believer in just active cardio so not necessarily on the treadmill or on the bike but just going outdoors walking doing stuff just just getting stuff done and being productive I'm not very good at sitting still uh, unless I have to sit and do computer work when, when I'm not at the computer working I'm always out and about so to answer that question the short answer is no I, I didn't tend to do any cardio in the off season I am blessed with a pretty decent metabolism anyway so like I, I never seem to sort of gain that much extra weight unless I'm kind of force feeding myself the calories if I'm eating a sensible diet 
Um, and I've never been an enormous eater anyway. You know, my calories don't ever climb super high. Maybe off season between three and a half, maybe four thousand tops. So you know, it's it's still a, a sensible amount of calories for a bodybuilder, even in the off season. And I like eating clean. Yeah, I'm I, I'm built for the sport in many ways because I'm 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 perfectly happy to eat clean foods pretty much year round with the odd treat here and there. Yeah, and and at the end of of you, your contest preps, did you did you kind of favour like a almost like a reverse diet approach, or did you like to get straight back to maintenance calories, or you know surplus to that? Um, pretty much immediately. Well, I've tried both. In in 2007, when I filmed my DVD, I stayed on the diet after the 2006 Worlds and very carefully um, amped up my calories. Uh, so that you, that was a reverse diet experiment, if you will. And I did find that quite challenging because my joints um, didn't recover very quick. I was getting a lot of stiffness in the joints, and I wasn't able to gain any muscle tissue in that period. So I concluded that um it's not a good place to stay um once you finish the show and you're in that very low body fat level of five percent you want to get out of there as quickly as can as you can into a more manageable zone so reverse dieting um not really um i, th I think you should perhaps eat up uh, well not necessarily gorge yourself on food but just resume normal eating patterns after a show and get your body weight up to something more sensible and and so your hormones can come back your natural hormones your testosterone levels can restore and um, you can get yourself back into that muscle gaining phase again but at the same time um don't go the opposite way and and absolutely stuff yourself full of calories because that can be really uncomfortable i've done that a few times and just let the floodgates open after the show you know, and you're putting on, you know, um, a stone in a few days, you know, just and you can feel it. You, you can just bog down with the food. And I'm sure that's not good for you either. So just a sensible approach and, and just resume normal eating habits after a contest and uh, trying to get your body weight up to something um, that's that's safe, that will let you start gaining muscle again and, and uh, protect your joints whilst you're, um, whilst you're training. What's your... Um favored sort of diet do you prefer high carbs high protein moderate low carbs what what, what works best for you obviously i know because you do the shorter diets and stuff yeah uh sort of middle of the road chris really i'm sorry i'm not this doesn't sound very groundbreaking does it but i don't subscribe to ultra high carb or ultra low carb either because i, I think you need something in the middle it's always worked well for me anyway so maybe 200 grams of protein, 300 grams of carbs, 50 grams of fats or thereabouts, you know, some tweaking, but um, yeah, my macros were, were, were very sort of uh, middle of the road coming into a contest. The only thing I would do is manipulate the carbs up and down as the diet progressed and trim them down uh, each week or two. So for example, there'd be carbs, in my last meal at night at the start of the diet but as the diet progressed and i started tightening things up i would eliminate the carbs later on in the day and 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 carry on that process until towards the end of the show most of my carbs are in the morning or afternoon 
um, and, and, and reduce them that way. Protein would always stay relatively high at, uh, you know, uh, one gram per pound body weight or thereabouts. May even increase protein slightly towards the end just as in, for insurance. Um, and then good fats would always stay there. That would be the omega-3s, the omega-6 and 9s. Yeah. Always keep them in throughout. Um, but I was always really careful with the carbs because you know, if I took the carbs too low, then I just couldn't get my workouts done effectively. I'll try to go in the gym and train legs on an empty tank and um, you're not going to get very far. So I always used to schedule my leg workouts after my cheat meal. So once a week, I would have a cheat meal, you know, like a big curry or something or pizza or whatever it was. And then the following day, I'd always go in and train legs and those calories would just get burned. Yeah, filled with energy. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Um, well, we're coming up uh, to the, you know, just, just shy of two hour mark. So um, I'll hand over to Chris to... Um, just sort of wrap up with our two sort of uh you know regular features that we, that we ask um, so yeah right so um if uh, you've seen any of our other uh, podcasts before john you see that um we have a bodybuilding room 101 uh to begin with um obviously it's it's a bit less familiar to um our american pros sometimes uh, and we have to maybe explain it a little bit but um, basically, if, if there's anything about modern day um, or current bodybuilding um, and uh, about the whole um, uh, industry as a whole, is there anything about that that you would quite happily play into Room 101? Well, it's a good question, isn't it? It is a good question. Um, I, uh, there's probably a few bits here I could talk about, but if I, if I was just to pick out one thing that, that does that does annoy me. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's image filters um, on photos. When people post selfies of themselves and they doctor the photos, yeah, you know, from the original, they apply. I mean, it's all, it's all very well adding a little bit of contrast to your photo to, you know, bring out the, the colours. But some of these filters now that people can apply to their photos before they post them on their feeds just transform their physiques yeah yeah and you're not looking at the real thing anymore are you no you know people no. are living in a world now where they're looking at photos of their competitors in completely unrealistic lighting they've been sharpened to within an inch of their lives and you know photoshopped out of all proportions in some cases so i'm Every time I see a photo now of, of some amazing bodybuilder, like the first question that always pops into my head is, has that been, has it been filtered? tinkered with? Yeah, has it been filtered? Yeah, so, and, and I just wish we could go back to the days where photos were untampered with and just published bore as they were. You know, you'd set, you'd set up a spot in the kitchen or wherever it was in your house where the lighting's good. You'd take a photo and you'd publish it. But now there's just way too many filters for my liking. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, sadly for a lot of competitors, you can't take those filters on stage with you. So um, if you look great in all these pictures leading up to it and trying to strike fear into maybe uh, some of your fellow competitors and then you get to the stage and something has gone wrong or you're not as sharp as those pictures look, then you do need to set yourself a disservice, I think. Um, 
you know, placing an expectation of yourself really, really high. And if you don't hit that when you get to the stage, then it's just going to be disappointing for you, I think. Um, That's it. Yeah, yeah, you're creating false illusion there, aren't you? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Tom, were you going to say something on that? Yeah, it's just I suppose if, if you know if if you have got quite a big online social media presence and as well, and people are aware of you going into the show, and they're expecting you to look a certain way and you don't, then that that is then, you know, you know perhaps if you know a a judge is aware of, of, of you and they've seen these pictures, then it, it then becomes a bit un, underwhelming, doesn't it? Um, I suppose it, we, we've talked a lot about this kind of instant gratification culture in that people like to post these photos sometimes with filters for essentially for, for likes on a, on a photo, isn't it? Um, so it, it's, it's, it's an interesting debate and it's a, uh, I don't think anyone's mentioned that yet with our guests so far. So, yeah, that's a good one. Um, so, um, yeah, so moving on from that, that's a good, that was a, uh, a good example. So thanks for that, John, mate. Um, the, the, um, the next one is we, we like to touch on the best and worst moments. And, um, you know, because I think everyone's got their... Uh, best and worst moments in their bodybuilding career but it's not always the uh the usual of winning a pro card or winning uh, a certain placing or something there's, there's another experience so have you got something um that you hold more dearly um than the rest um and obviously and conversely to that what's what's what would you say was you maybe your worst moment if you've even got one Oof. Yeah, there's a few stories here, Chris. Um, I could rattle off on both both sides. Um, if I'm not allowed to count contest wins, um, then probably my first time on stage um, as a junior was um, was a special time, as I recounted at the last um, on the last podcast. Um, I did win, but I won by default. I was the only competitor, so that was um, I didn't really class that as a win in the usual sense. <clears throat> But it was it just hooked me into the sport, yeah. Um, and and then if it wasn't for that hook, then I, I wouldn't have carried on competing. So that was a special time. J- just to accompany that, you know, it was it was an amazing accomplishment for me personally to finally get that pro card in 2003, and then in 2006, three years later, to to, to raise that WNBF Pro World title. You know, that that for me was the pinnacle. If if and in those two, I'm I'm counting wins there. So. Um, so you know those sort of three moments were sort of yeah, key right. moments for me. If I can link three in together, um, just and then to go down the other side of the hill, if you will, on um, on downers in the sport. Um, yeah, just just to pull away from competition for for a moment. Like whenever I had an injury, I mean you guys know what this is like. It's you know whether you're preparing for a contest and you pull pull a muscle and it puts you out of action or whether it's something in the off season it's a bit more serious and you're out of action those things really used to you know drag me down and they'd always happen at a time when training was going so well um unfortunately i've never had any like serious muscle tears or anything but i have you know been a good run of, of injuries over the years that I've had to battle with. Hence, I, I train incredibly safe now when, when I'm in the gym. Yeah. So that's that's on the gym side of things. But uh, competition side, um, 
Yeah, I, I did struggle a little bit in my, in my last junior show, just coming back on that plane flight from competing in the Worlds in 94. And at that point, I thought that, that was it for me, my, my bodybuilding career, because I hadn't found you know, the ANB or the, the BNBF at that point to compete in. I didn't even know they existed. So in 94, I actually thought that was the end of my bodybuilding career as a junior, finished early. And that was quite a sad moment. I wouldn't say it was my worst moment, but it's just sad. Yeah. And um, and it took another seven years to, to find my feet again and, and find you know, the natural end of the sport and that ladder that I could progress up. Um, so that, that sad story in 94 had a, eventually a happy ending. That's, um, that's a good angle, really, to, to come at it from. Because um, a lot of people would count and say losses at something and... And so, but yeah, the, the um, I, I, I can appreciate what you're saying there on both counts, the good and the bad there. Uh, thanks for that. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Um, well, we are we are just just under two so, hours, um, and I think we've, you know, we apologise because uh, you know we've we've taken up another two hours on top of the <laughs> three and a half hours the other day, but you know, I, I'm sure people will absolutely lap this up um you know the opportunity to hear from from yourself john with your history in the sport and your wisdom um so uh, you know we're just absolutely uh you know extremely grateful to to have you join us today um i've really enjoyed the chat i'm sure chris has really enjoyed the chat and i'm sure that the the viewers will as well so we'll uh this will go up on on the youtube page and also on um on all the podcast platforms so it's, it's now on apple podcasts for for those of you that like to download and listen there on on your commutes and things like that so um any any closing words from anyone hello guys i just want to say thank you for having me on the show it's been wonderful to get online and, and do some video content for me because it's it's been a while since I've been on the stage, so I feel like I've took a back seat in the sport over recent years. So it's um, it's been a bit of a shot in the arm for me to get out and, and do two podcasts podcasts back to back in such quick um, uh, succession. And uh, I hope the, the the listeners get something from it. Just feel free to reach out to me. I've got a website, johnharris.com and naturalmuscle.co.uk. So get in touch if you uh, you know if you if you want to drop me a line, talk about bodybuilding. So brilliant thanks guys good luck with the rest of the series and yeah i'm, I'm going to be tuning into like, future episodes and and, and and looking out for for you know, who comes on next so good luck with it all thank you very much we appreciate it and uh, yeah just again just say thanks again for coming on uh, sparing the time to talk to us um i know i've not given as much input today on this one but i've just enjoyed really listening to you um and and, and hearing about everything you've done uh, in bodybuilding and what you're continuing to do in and I hope that you, you do stay um, uh, in the bodybuilding world for, 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 for you know a, a long time to come um, I really appreciate it thanks very much you're welcome brilliant yeah all right thanks Chris thanks John uh, we'll, we'll all catch up soon take Have care a good day see you in the next episode